Because they're going on mission trips. They're all over the world. They're spread out primarily all over Asia. We've got people we're losing this week uh, uh, to go down to Costa Rica. Um, today, the Cambodia team is, is, is headed out. What time does the flight leave? Uh, it's already on, they're already flying. They're already in the air. Um, and so what does that mean for us? What does that mean for Kaiser? What does that mean? Because, because here's the question that we need to continually ask ourselves. Are we going to be a, a ministry of people? Because here, here's the deal. There are other college ministries. Yeah, they exist. Uh, I'm not going to call them out. Okay? But there are other ministries that you could be a part of. And, and they, they'd be great places to be. But what Kaya wants to be is a room full, a group full, a collective of individual missionaries. A group of people who are willing to go and do whatever the Lord calls us to go and do. And, and the question for us has to be, especially when we come together like this and look each other in the eyes, has to be, are we going to fill, fulfill God's mission as a team, as a group of people? Are we going to fulfill God's mission in this world? And there's a group of us who are gone today because they said yes to the call. And they're going to go do that. And what we need to do is be responsible for praying for them. And so um, we need to do that right now. Can we do that? I'd like to spend just a few minutes, pair up with somebody, or get in a small group of people, and let's pray for the teams that are currently going to Cambodia, uh, the team that's getting ready to go to Costa Rica, Costa Rica specifically uh, this week. Okay, can we pray for them? And is Britt back yet? He gets back tonight. So let's pray that he gets in on time. Okay? And that his fruit uh, would, have, would, have, uh, would have longevity. Okay. Yeah, let's do that. Let's take a moment to pray.
out this week. There are people who have been preparing uh, for weeks and weeks uh, for the trip that they're uh, preparing to take right now. And uh, Lord, we know because we've been praying that you've been preparing hearts. And so Lord, I just ask that this team that's headed to Cambodia would be fruitful in terms of their witness, that God, people would respond to the gospel message. And that, Lord, beyond that, people would recognize a need to follow you in discipleship and that they would knit themselves together with Doug and Bethany. And that, they would, um, that Doug and Bethany would have their hands full in terms of ministry because the fruit that you bear over the coming two weeks. God, I pray for this Costa Rica team who's going down again to instill a heart for discipleship and to provide aid uh, at, the, at the church in Costa Rica. And so, God, I, I pray that you would prepare that team, uh, that they would be ready, uh, that, their, uh, that their opportunities to teach would uh, have lasting fruit, and that people would recognize, uh, above all, the Great Commission, that they're not here to waste their lives or to play church, as Sam would say, but they're called to follow you, and they're called to do your will and your bidding. And when we get so hung up, and we have such a hard time understanding what that is, but your word speaks so plainly concerning what you desire for us. Lord, I pray that the, the people of this world whether in Costa Rica or Cambodia or Vietnam or Hong Kong, um, would recognize that, Lord, uh, you have a great calling on our lives. And we have the ability to waste them. And so I pray, I pray for your help. Lord, I pray for Brent as he's coming home. We love him so much. We're grateful for his ministry here uh, to us as a class. Lord, his wisdom, uh, his investment, uh, his, his uh, Lord, just consistency. To be honest, God, I'm so thankful for his consistent witness. And for him to go, it was a great sacrifice for him to go to India uh, over the last couple of weeks. And God, I know that you've done much through him. Lord, I pray at the judgment seat he would be able to, to look back and see how much you actually did. Amen. And that, uh, that he would very lovingly be able to cast that crown before your feet. Amen. Bring it back to us safely. God, we thank you for our family. We thank you for these people in this room this morning, for our visitors. God, would you instill in all of us a desire to love souls the way that you love souls. You've counted us your friends, and you're calling other people just like you've called us. Uh, would you make us sensitive to that fact? We ask it in your son's name. Amen. Amen. How did I end up over here? I thought I was much closer to the pulpit. I think I, I accidentally waddled my way over here. Okay. Man, uh, Alex, thank you. Where are you at? Thanks for preaching last week. Uh, that, was awesome. that was a blessing to me. And, uh, man, I'm excited whenever I get to get, uh, give uh, young men uh, the opportunity uh, to, to, to test their gifts 
and I'm thankful for the investment that he made in the word and, and the fact that he brought that to us last Sunday. That's a, that's a blessing for me. Um, Blake, will you come and read the review passage for us? So we're going to read, it's been a few weeks, we're going to read Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 13, okay? And then we're going to move forward, trudge, trudge forward. Okay. 1 through 13. If you will. Uh, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath, hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. This is 14. Go ahead. Uh, for as many as are led by the, by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Amen. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. You pray for us. Yeah. Father, thank you for your word. Um, Lord, thank you for the freeing power of your word whenever we choose to receive it. Father, we pray for our hearts so that you would soften them. Lord, we are uh, sinners. Even those of us that are saved still have this flesh that we wrestle with, Lord. And we see that you want to do a great work in our lives, Lord. And some of us have missed out on a lot in life already. And today, uh, moving forward, we don't want to miss out anymore. And uh, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the doctrine that you impart to us so freely, God, that you give us everything that we need to fulfill the great commission that you've given to us, to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, um, to preach the gospel, to see souls saved. Thank you so much for everybody all over the world from this ministry. Um, God, we just pray that you would um, meet with them today as well, refresh them with the believers today. Give them time away to retreat with you, Lord. Uh, Be with Brandon as he speaks. Give him uh, great peace about what you've uh, told him to say to us. And if there's anything new by your spirit that maybe he hasn't considered, God, um, teach him to. Um, Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. Okay, so, man, Romans has been really good in terms of study for me. And I, and I pray that it's been good for you in terms of learning what it means to enter into a gospel relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And we've come up against a whole lot of different uh, ideas and topics as we've moved throughout Romans. Uh, but most recently, in Romans chapter 7, we uh, had this conversation with Paul concerning this kind of dual-mindedness that we have. You know, you know, we've got this flesh. And those of us who call us Christians recognize in ourselves a battle that's kind of warring. This battle to either submit to the old man who's constantly calling us to fall uh, prey to old temptations or to live unto Christ in victory. And what Paul's saying in chapter 7 is, man, I just can't, I, I can't live the way I want. Every time it seems like I'm doing right, I, I fall into the trap of doing wrong. And I mess up and I fail. I fail the Lord. And then we, we, we started re- reading Romans chapter 8. And what we find in Romans chapter 8 is that we have been set free from the bondage of sin. And that the Holy Spirit has quickened us together with Christ and made us to be victorious. And if we can learn to yield to the Holy Spirit and mortify the deeds of the flesh, then we can, we can quite literally defeat sin on a day-to-day basis. Okay, and that's what we read. Read verse 8 real quick of Romans chapter 8. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Now now that verse is is very important because what it does, it sets us free from the presupposition that in our flesh, in our man, we can do good things for God. Look, if you're going to rely on your flesh, just just count it, just count yourself out right now. If you're going to rely on unction, on mustering up the desire, you're going to fail yourself. And you're going to feel guilty, and you're going to feel let down, and your Christianity is going to be quite miserable, to be be honest with you. And there will be tears for a season, and there will be weeping, and there will be counsel for a season, and your friends will gather around you, and they'll say, hey, it's going to be okay, trust the Spirit. But if you continue to rely on your flesh, I'm telling you, eventually you'll find yourself away from this place and living in the world. Because you cannot live the Christian life out of mustering up a desire Seeking feelings, seeking experience. When God has told you, um, rest, rest in your death to the law. Rest in my spirit. Give heed, yield to the power of my Holy Spirit. Romans 8 provides, uh, provides us with a, with a perspective on this freedom. It's such a relief to know that the answer is not in my courage but in the courageous work of the Holy Spirit within me. It's not, it's not about my unction and my desire and my passion, but it's about the passion of the cross lived out in my life. Verse 9 says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Christian, Christian, listen to me. If, you, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've prayed the, prayed the prayer, prayed the prayer, of repentance. And you come into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Listen. You're not in the flesh. But in the spirit. If so. Be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man. Have not the spirit of Christ. He is none of his. There's two people. There's those that belong to God. And there's those that don't. There's those with the spirit. There's those without. There are those that live peaceably. There are those that don't. 
Right? And if Christ be in you, then the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. So the discovery we make is that though we are inclined to sin, it is no longer our nature to sin. It's our nature to overcome. You know, thinking this way is very difficult, isn't it? I mean, especially when things get really complex and difficult and life becomes hard. It gets, it gets really hard to, for us to get God's mind concerning this. It's hard to convince yourself when, when life is, is miserable that sin doesn't own you. And the question is, for you today, this is the question. Don't you just want to be led by the Spirit? Yeah. I mean, don't, I mean, don't you? I mean, some of you can't on, honestly answer that, and you're, you have to think about it. But many of us in this room today just want to be led by the Spirit, right? Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> what? How about? Did you? Okay, good. You can't, be, you can't be led as long as you still have control. And so that's why we talked about last time we got together this idea of mortifying the flesh, killing the flesh, right? The art of, the art of using God's word and leaning into the Holy Spirit so that it reveals in us and exposes in us our wickedness so that we might be reproved, rebuked, exhorted, corrected by the work of the Spirit, taught to live rightly, Empowered to live after God. That's what we talked about. And, and so what we do is we find ourselves in a position where we desire to follow the Lord. And the remainder of this chapter is about the freedom of the Holy Spirit in us to live out our sonship. The fact that we're children. I'm going to use this term sonship a lot today. What I'm referring to is the fact that you are a child of God. And with that comes some, some knowledge that we need to drop today. Some information that God's given us pertaining to our, our sonship. The fact that we belong to him. And there's, there's a set, a knowledge set that if we have and we can rely on, there's a truth that comes with, with knowing God's word. That if we can rely on those truths, then we'll, we'll get a, a, a clearer perspective pertaining to what God has for us. And we won't feel as let down. And we won't feel as defeated. And we won't feel as reliant on our flesh. And we won't feel as bound to the, to the law of sin and death. So Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17 is where we're going to be. Let us begin in verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Okay, we're going to go right into our first key point. Usually I string you along. But we're going to get right into key point number one. For one to be led of God, they must first be a son of God. Very, very simple. There's many people in this world that want to be led by God, but do not know Christ yet. Right? There's, there's many of you who have family members who want to be led by God, but they're not willing to submit to him in salvation. They've not been born into, into his family yet. Right? They have not prayed to the Lord to save them from their sins. They have not yet dedicated their lives to Christ. And so you can't really be led by God unless you first belong to God. See, God doesn't try to raise and lead children. They don't belong to him. Wouldn't that be inappropriate? You know, 
I don't have any desire to raise any of your children. I mean, mine is, my hands are full with the ones that I got, right? And with three on the way, or with the third one on the way, I definitely don't need... Well, that would be bad, wouldn't it? I just realized what I said. Now, I can't think of a name for one child, let alone three more. I'm having a really hard time with a girl's name. So, if you've got suggestions. What'd you say? Eribana. Eribana. It's cute. No, my son is dead set on naming our daughter Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. So... But no, I, I mean, I don't have any desire to raise anybody else's children. Neither does God. You know, you know, Brian might send his kids over to my house. Actually, I'll, I'll flip this example because my kids went over to Brian's house yesterday. Now, now it was such a relief. Thank you. Because I, I needed to get some study time. So I sent them over there and he watched them for a few hours. Now, he can guide them. Okay? He can, he can provoke them to righteousness. But they don't belong to him. And so he can't rear them. He can't bring them up. And really, to be honest, he can't lead them. That's my responsibility. I have to do that. And God the Father has no interest in raising children that don't belong to him. He has no interest in leading those who don't belong to him. So the first thing that we need to understand is that God wants to lead his children. Are you a child of God? And being born of God is crucial. 1 John 5 says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat, uh, that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. Now, now what I want to say to you next, Christian, is if you've been born again, it is important for you to understand that being raised by God and being led by God and being born again are two different things. That there's a difference between salvation and sanctification. There's a difference between knowing God and dwelling with him. There's a difference between, between being justified in Christ and walking out your faith. And it's not sufficient to God that you would simply be saved, but his desire is that every day you would recognize that you are a child of him and that you would live and behave and act like it. You know, it's one thing to be adopted by God, but it's another thing to live as though you are his son. Is anybody in here adopted? Was, it, was adopted? No? Okay, well, Ethan, you weren't adopted, were you? Seriously? By your dad? By your, by your stepmom? No. How'd that work? By your dad? Well, how old were you? Oh. So it was like you were always in your family. Would it have been hard? Can you, do you ever imagine what it would be like if you got adopted when you were like 15? What would that have been like? Oh, so that was crazy. <laughs> I mean, there's this, this like, I, I've known people who, who were adopted late in life. And isn't it difficult for someone who's adopted late in life to come into a new home and to abide by in those rules and the expectations of that new home? It takes someone for a really long time to get adopted. And you know, there's this funny thing about adoption in, in Roman culture. This word adoption actually refers to the fact that... that um, that people are adopted at an older age. It implies maturity. 
And, and that's true for us. I mean, I mean, we were born again into Jesus Christ according to John chapter 3. But the truth is you were also adopted. And you had a lot of that sin stuff, that old life on you when you came into his family. And it takes a lot for you to learn how to be led, to become a son. It's one thing to be adopted. It's a completely another, th- another thing to say, no, I am a son of God. And I'm going to submit to this authority in my life. And I'm going to rest in the fact that this is my new father and I'm going to follow him. I just flexed and my mic almost popped off. No, I need to lose 10 pounds. That's the truth. But we won't get into that. So, you understand what I'm saying? It's a completely different thing to be born again and then to walk as a child of God. And so we have to understand what this means to be his son. So I'm going to look at three different characteristics today. We're going to look at three different characteristics of a son of God. You know, I want to say this. So I spent most of my life, personally, pretending that my real dad wasn't my dad. I mean, my dad was a deadbeat. I mean, everything about him, everything that I knew about him, was something I didn't want to be. And so for a long time, long, long part of my childhood, I really, I mean, I had to work at separating the way that I lived from what I knew about him. Man, that's rough. And some of us are doing that unintentionally right now with God. Some of us don't know that we're doing it, but we recognize that God is calling us to live in a particular way with particular expectations for our life. And he's even given us the Holy Spirit so that we might do that. And yet, we're maybe incidentally, or, 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 or maybe it's because of our weakness or immaturity, find ourselves working to not abide in the fact that we're his child. And really, we have to stop resisting the fact that God has called us to mourn. So that begins by recognizing that a son must be led. You know, God loves to lead. God loves to lead. He led the nation of Israel with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night in Exodus chapter 13. You know? He was faithful to lead, wasn't he? In the wilderness, when things were difficult, God counted it a joy to provide them with something to follow. And his dear children, they followed. And really, to follow a pillar or to follow a cloud, that's not a very hard thing to do. You know what I mean? When a giant pillar of fire stands before you and calls you to follow it, that's not hard instructions. I'm going to do that. Point the way. Let's go. Right? You know, God, God loves to lead his children. And Jesus talks about this for us in John chapter 10. He's called the good shepherd because he brings his people in and out of pasture, confirming through his very guidance that he loves us and he wants to be intentional with us. God has has created a framework for us to follow him from the very beginning. He loves to lead. And to be led, in in, in verse 14, this word led means to be conducted, to be guided, influenced in the way in which which one should go. You know, for for a child, sometimes it's really difficult to be led. You know, they're easily distracted, aren't they? Okay, I know this. Some of you don't know this. You can, you've observed it in Kid Town, maybe. 
But children can be really difficult to lead because they get distracted by things. They're swept, they're swept up in entertainment. Like my daughter especially. She's, she's kind of the one... Well, she's just less submissive than Shepard. Okay? She's just less submissive. And so I'll be telling them something. Okay? And for him, I might have to say, I might have to snap my fingers. Hey, hey, hey. And you listen to me. And he'll, he'll follow, but, but it'll take a little bit longer to get her attention because she's playing with my little ponies or whatever it is. And it's hard to, harder to pull her away from the thing that's distracted her. But, but for my children to obey my voice is not impossible. It's not impossible. It just requires two things on their part. It requires two things, okay? The first thing it requires is to listen. The second thing is to obey. So key point number two, to be led by God, we must carefully listen and we must intentionally obey. We must carefully listen and we must intentionally obey. You know, when I'm instructing my children, they must, they must stop what they're doing and lend me their ears before, before they can respond in obedience. There's no way until they hear the call of my voice, know what to do. Like if, they're, if, like, if I say, okay, guys, it's time to clean up, and my daughter's still playing with her toys so that she can't hear me, then there's no way that she can respond the right way. So it has to first begin with listening. And likewise, we must find the discipline within ourselves to reckon God's voice greater than our own preoccupations. We have to recognize that God's voice is more important than our stuff. I mean, we've all got stuff, don't we? What is the stuff that you do? What's the stuff that preoccupies you? It could be all kinds of stuff. It could be work. It could be you know, entertainment. It could be just the way you spend your time. Maybe it's the way you daydream. There's all kinds of stuff that you've got. But until you're willing to put those things aside to listen to God daily, there's no way that you can, you can respond to the calling of his voice. How could, you, how could you obey if you don't first listen? In order to be led, you must first listen to God. <clears throat> we must make quiet time with the Lord a priority in order to hear and perceive and know the calling. Now here's the other thing, like, Listening isn't good enough alone. If you don't perceive what's being said, what good is it to you? Right? Perception is crucial. So in other words, there's lots of people that hear voices. <laughs> right? Some of you might hear voices. That's not good. We need to talk about that. We need to pray after service. And there's lots of people assume that they hear God. That when they read the text, they're, they're assuming that they're hearing from God. They're not paying close attention to what he's saying. They're not paying close attention to his words and to his call. So they, they still can't obey right. We need to make quiet time where we're deliberate. If you're coming here, and the only time that you're spending in God's word every week is to come here and hear Sam or I preach, uh, that's very disappointing for you, first of all. Because I don't have that much to say. <laughs> And to be honest with you, God has so much more to say to you in, his, in your quiet time. I mean, because that word is specific for you. We have to make quiet time a priority. You know, at the men's retreat, 
I asked the guys to write a vision statement. And I've gotten about half of those. They were due yesterday. Well, they were due Friday, but I gave, I'm saying yesterday just to be gracious. I got Blake's yesterday, so I'm trying to be gracious. I didn't want to, I didn't want to make him feel like he was late. At midnight last night, was that when that came through? Good job. Thanks. It was good. I read it. It was good. Yeah, yeah. It touched me. So, no, it did. It was convicting. It was good. Um, now, listen. In that vision statement that I asked them to write, I always kind of ask the same things. Like, one of the things I ask is, who's your Paul? Okay. Who is it that you're following? I want to know about that person and why it is that you're following them. I also want to know who you're leading. Who's your Timothy? Who, who is it that, that is following you? Because... We can't really function properly in terms of a discipleship relationship unless we're being fed and we're feeding others, right? Okay. Another thing I ask is, like, what kind of things are you going to do in this next year to help you grow? Like, what, what kind of experiences are you going to... Are you going to sign up for D2? Are you going to be responsible enough to sign up for D2? Okay. Um, are you, are you going to sign up for LFBI? What is, are you going to go on a mission trip? What is it you going to do in order to make sure that God's growing you and stretching you? And then here's the last thing I ask. What is your conviction in terms of quiet time and intimacy with God? Now, that seems like a very basic question, right? That's a, that's a, that's a D1. That's a discipleship one-level question. But it's one that we have to ask ourselves all the time. Because life is always changing and evolving, and your schedule changes, and your work changes, right? Things change. And I want to know that you're making Jesus Christ and intimacy with him and time in his word a priority, because the truth is, you cannot follow the Lord unless you're hearing from the Lord. Yeah. This is of the utmost important, importance. If you're going to receive instruction and follow God, and even for just in terms of, listen to me, in terms of this body, we need you to be intentional about listening to God. Amen. Because if you're not, we all suffer from that. We need friendship with Jesus. John chapter 8, verses 41 through 47. You know, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he tells them that their hypocrisy is rooted in their inability to hear the voice of God. Boy, isn't that true? Some of us become hypocrites because we refuse to make intimacy with God and listening to him a priority. John chapter 10 and verse 16 says, And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, they also I must bring it, and they shall hear my voice. And there, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Right? You know, Jesus says that his sheep hear his voice, and they know his voice. They recognize it. And this is true. I, I don't know if you've ever looked at this, but the truth is, a shepherd actually, just like with a dog, you ever have a dog that knows your voice? Yeah? The same thing is true of sheep. A shepherd can lead his flock, and the flock knows his voice versus the voice of another person. Right? And so that when, when the shepherd calls to them, they know to, to respond to his voice in a way that they cannot respond to other people. And the only way that they can learn how to do that is to repeatedly hear his voice over and over and over again. Over and over. And so that they know the inclination of his voice and the emphasis in his voice when he's angry, when he's, when he's disappointed, when he's happy, when he's joyous. Right? When it's time to eat, Versus, I don't know, getting shaved. You know, is that what they call it? Sheared. It's time to be sheared. 
Man, I don't know what Shepard said. Let's get our grub on. Come in here. Let's do this. Or maybe they just make sound. But I don't know. But I do know this. Sheep hear the voice and they know the voice of the shepherd. But you can't come to know the voice of the shepherd until you listen to the voice of the shepherd. And so we have to first begin by listening to his voice. Next, we need to live it. It's not good enough just to hear God. We must obey. You know, I often tell my... I get this from from John chapter 14, verse 15. I often tell my kids, if you love me, then you should want to obey me. I'm not saying that to manipulate them. Okay? But Jesus says to his disciples, if you love me, then you'll keep my commandments. That's what he says. And I don't know... Like... Quite literally, what he's saying is, if you love me, you should want to obey. You should desire to obey me. He's not using it to persuade them. He doesn't say it that they might earn his love. They've got his love. But he says it because he wants them to know that love is performed. Like, faith begets works. Intimacy with Jesus Christ will cause you to do. You know? I mean, when you're in love with someone, you do things for them. You know? You work on things that suck about yourself. You're like, like I need to to deal with this because this annoys so-and-so and I love them and I want to deal with this. You know? You do things To protect that relationship, you obey. You submit. That's what you do. And so when I tell my children, if you love me, then you should want to obey me. I say that because I already love my children. They don't have to earn my favor. I love them unconditionally. But I still desire for them to do what I ask them to do. And if they love me, they can exercise that by doing what I ask. Right? It's one thing to hear. It's another thing to do. You can acknowledge truth but not perform it. And many of us are good at that. We hear truth and then we avoid the conviction that comes with it. There's a call. There's a call on our heart. There's a call on our life. There's a conviction that we have. And rather than running that through the proper channels, going to your pastor or going to your leadership team, right? We kind of tuck it away because we're hearing it, but we don't want to do it. We're afraid of it. It scares us. It scares us to submit. And we, we, we have to recognize that the difference between chapter 7 and chapter 8 is, is the yielded believer. I mean, God's telling you what it means to be a son. God's telling you what it means to have the Spirit. God's giving you a great commission. He's calling you. He's convicting you. But you have to yield. You have to submit. And when you find yourself listening to God, you're not going to go fishing, fishing for some extraordinary word or vision. Read the words and obey them at face value. I know how some of us work. Okay, Some of us go to God's word with presumptions. Okay, Maybe it is you've got some sort of thing that you're dealing with in your life. Bear with me for a second. I don't want to lose you here. Okay, I want to make sure that I'm clear. 
Have you ever gone to God's word with a dilemma so that when you're reading his word, you're hunting for a particular answer to the question that you have? And what happens when we do that is what we're doing is we're manipulating what God's saying. You know, God's word is God's word. It doesn't require any manipulating or finagling. It doesn't doesn't require that. It's simple. It's like that pillar of fire in the desert. It's simple to follow. There's instructions there. And with those instructions come promises. And in those promises become the protection for whatever minutia or difficulty or chaos you're facing in your life. You don't have to force God's hand to give you some sort of word. You don't have to think superstitiously. I mean, some of you don't do it like this, but you might as well just be opening up the Bible and pointing, hoping that what you find is some sort of answer to your problem. And the truth is just read the word. He's going to guide you. He's going to lead you. Listen, submit. You don't have to finagle it. Submit. He's calling you. He's speaking to you. You know, and and along the way, God's going to give you unique convictions. You know, if I tell my children to pick up their toys, okay, listen to this. If, If I tell my children to pick up their toys, that's a commandment. I don't really care how they do it. They can hum along the way, right? They can help each other. They can work independently. I want the toys to be put away. But if I tell them to put the toys away, and I turn around and come back, and all the toys are in a bonfire in the front yard... That's an assumption, isn't it? Like, oh, dad wants, the, dad wants the house clean. I'm going to do it this way. Right? And they could presume upon me. I'm asking them to do one thing, and they could do something completely different. You know why? Because they're not obedient. They're not submitted. And one of the things about being led is as you come up in maturity, and you understand God's word, you should desire to follow it just the way he prescribed it for you. And you shouldn't have to make your own way. But people do this. And say, so what I'm saying is, protect yourself against heresy. Protect yourself against superstition. Protect yourself from forcing God's hand. You understand? Take God's word at face value. And you know what? Within that is the boundaries to follow him in freedom, in liberty. Exercising his will and doing it exactly in the unique way that God's called you. You know, who was here on Friday night to clean? Okay, so like, do you guys remember sitting with Mark? (laughs) Don't laugh. I mean, what I was wanting from Mark was a checklist, a very, very strict checklist of how to clean the building. And Mark was like, I don't have that for you tonight. I just need for you to clean the building. And he gave a few small instructions. He was like, don't shove the dirt when you're doing that thing with the broom. Don't shove the dirt up under the lip. And he was like, and make sure you get that up there. On the, on the mantle. No one ever cleans that. And he was like, okay, other than that, peace. And we got to work. And I was looking for something very specific. And I was trying, if you guys heard me, I was actually trying to force his hand. I'm like, bro, you got to give us more than that. I'm all alone here. <laughs> James is not here. James McKelvey, our shepherd, is not here to shepherd us. I don't really know what I'm supposed to do. If you could give me a checklist. You know, but the truth is, he gave us parameters to function in. He wanted the building clean. Okay? And he gave us a few small instructions, but other than that, he just wanted us to work in liberty. Now, if I would have, if I would have turned around and all of you guys would have been in the parking lot, weeding the parking lot, <laughs> yeah? I mean, that would have been great and all, but that's not what he asked us to do. And the same thing is true of us in our faith. Hear what 
Hear what God is saying to you. Not the things that he's not saying to you. Hear the things that he's saying to you. And function in liberty within those boundaries. Follow him. Pursue him. He's given us freedom. Don't be a legalist. And don't be a heretic. Because then, well, then we have to deal with you. And I don't want to do that. Obedience is simple. We have, we have his very words. And we have his spirit. And we have the church to confirm or to counter our convictions. Well, we've got to trust that. You've got to trust that. You've got a conviction? Come talk to me about it. Let's work through it together. Yeah, you've got God's word, you've got his spirit, you've got the church. Let's, let, let's learn to live it out. Live out the things that he's calling you, you to. Next, the son is loved. A son is loved. Verse 15. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. God's love is clearly displayed in his actions. Okay? In the fact that he delivered us from bondage and fear and adopted us into his family. I mean, I, I, I think for someone to deliver someone else from prison, to set them free, would demand loyalty, don't you think? I mean, if you were, if you were in prison and someone came and set you free, would, you, would that not demand your loyalty to that person? You know, um, if, if you were adopted, if you were without a family, if you were lost and all alone, and someone came and adopted you, like imagine the orphans in Nepal, okay, that the Hope Orphanage adopts. Children that are on the street, they're begging at the train stations. They have no, they have no parents to look out for them. Children, children are finding food where they, where they can. And then someone brings them in and takes care of them and says, you're now my family. You know, uh, some of you know Pastor Pradeep from Rayagata. And um, Pastor Pradeep has got such a gentle spirit. There's a young boy that they adopted uh, into the orphanage. They brought him into the orphanage a few years ago. When I met him, he was probably five or six. He's probably seven now. And I, I, can't, I think his first name was Jacob. Okay, Jacob. But he didn't know his last name. The pastor Lima gave him his last name. He said, you're now Jacob Lima. This little boy, he didn't, he didn't, no one was there for him. He had no identity. He had no, no one to guide him or father him. Pastor Lima just, you're mine now. That's, that's powerful. That's powerful. And, and God's love for us is declared in the fact that he set us free and adopted us into his family. His love is so clear. And key point number three, you need to know that you're unconditionally loved. And that should inspire you to live un- unconditional devotion. That unconditional love should inspire in you unconditional devotion. His love for us and our love for Him are both displayed in this term, Abba Father. Abba Father. And many of you know that the word Abba is different from the word Father. Abba is like the term Daddy. This is a term of affection. And so Abba is the cry of a small child. It's the cry of emotion. It's the cry of the heart. A small child understands their parents in terms of unconditional presence. My children call me daddy because they know that I'm there for them. 
They can rely on me. It's a term that, 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 that declares the fact that they trust me. And that they can run to me. And that they can bring me their pain. And that they can bring me their suffering. And they can come to me in vulnerability. And they can come to me in honesty. And I'm going to be there to protect them and to bring them into my arms. The term Abba is the term Daddy. I love you. I need you. You know, when my kids hurt themselves. <laughs> my daughter the other day. <laughs> okay, so Clementine, uh, it was just, she didn't take a nap. She had a hard day. And she kept getting hurt. Like all day long. Like any opportunity there was. We were at the park, or whether it was like playing in the house. And she came up to me and she goes, why do we keep hurting ourselves? <laughs> like, I want to say, because you're acting stupid. And I said, I said, I know, you're having a rough day. I'm sorry, just be careful. But you know, she came to me because she was, she was hurting. And she was like holding her finger at the time. And I had to kiss her finger. But, but daddy is the term of affection. And it comes from our heart. And it tells us that we can go to God about anything. That he's there for us and he's present with us. We have direct access to him. And he's there to love us and to feed us when we're hungry or tired or in need of that unconditional favor. But father is a term of reverence and obedience. It's more of a formal term. And when a child grows, they grow to know and understand the will of their father. And, that they, and they can dis- learn to discern his thoughts and his mind. The term father is for one who uses it in a way that, that, that understands that their father has purpose for them. Father is a reverential term. Now look at what happens here. He could have just used the term Abba. He could have just used the term Father. But he uses the term here, Abba, Father. The cry of our heart should be Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. The one that I both reverence And the one that will accept me no matter what. The one who loves me and desires me. But the one that I must obey. You know, this term is only ever used one time in Galatians when when Paul's talking about something similar to this. But then by Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's praying. And it's in, in this moment, I don't know if you've ever read this story. But he's praying in a very intimate and vulnerable time. And he calls out and he says, Turn that Jesus and God the Father have and share with one another. And you know what? We've been invited into that same type of intimacy and knowledge of who God is. And now we have the liberty and we've been set free that we might cry out to God, Abba, Father, love me, accept me, and give me a command that I might follow you and obey you. And so my question for you is this. On the, on the next slide, if it's there. Yeah, do you cry Abba, Father? Is that what your prayer life is like? You know, in the, in the men's retreat, in the, in the vision, uh, or in the men's retreat, in the, in the time that we had together on that Saturday, and we were talking about the vision, we were talking about prayer, I've had a lot of people come to me, a lot of men say, that's the thing that I'm convicted about most is my prayer life. And maybe that's true for a lot of you. What is your prayer life like? I mean, maybe you're really good at listening, but what about the part where you also cry out to God. What is that time life? And uh, that time like and and if you have it, is it intimate at this level? I mean, some of us are very passive in our prayer life. You pray when like 
uh, in fleeting moments. You, you, you think that you live a lifestyle of prayer. You like to think, well, I pray without ceasing. And so when a moment comes and I need to pray, I pray. Well, that's awesome. That's great. You feel that way. But do you get in your prayer closet and you spend intimate time with God where he's leading you and you're crying out to him? Do you use this? Do you even use Like, I dare you. This is like when, we, when, I, when Uriah dares us to raise our hands and when we worship. You know? I dare you to do it and find out what that's like. To raise out your hands and offer your heart to God. And think of it. Think of it in terms of, of, of crying out to the Lord. Saying, here's my heart. You know, I, I dare you in your prayer life to say, Abba, Father. To use that phrase. To use that terminology. To refer to Him in a way that's intimate. Because I think it could change your prayer life. If you see God the right way. And you understand the type of Father that He truly is. Third, a son is lifted. The third thing is a son is lifted. Verse 16, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. He wants to glorify us. His plan is that one day we would spend eternity with him in his kingdom. That's the plan. That's part of the strategy. That's the storyline that we're living out. That's the narrative for the Christian life, is that one day you die and you get to be with him forever. Right? I think a lot of us understand that. 1 Corinthians 1.22 says, Who hath also sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts? The Spirit that resides in us is the earnest or the down payment on what we will, uh, we will one day inherit in Christ. You understand? This, this, okay, look at me. Am I losing you? Okay, listen. So, you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit in that very moment comes inside of you, and it seals you until the day of redemption. And that sealing of the Holy Spirit is the earnest or the down payment Okay? No one, some of you have bought a house before. I had to cough up a lot of money to put a down payment on that house. Right? That's not fun. It required sacrifice on my part. But in my sacrifice, I gained something. I gained a, a deposit, a down payment, that one day, well, it's not a mansion, but I'd have something. Okay? Now listen to me. That Holy Spirit inside of you is a down payment on what you're going to get one day. You become a joint heir, not with God, but with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And everything that Jesus Christ has in his inheritance, we are partakers in that. And I don't think we get that. I don't think that we understand that we are quite literally God's children. And if his children, his spirit is inside of us. And if his spirit is inside of us, one day we will be glorified with him in heavenly places. And the knowledge of that is crucial. Colossians 3, 4 says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. We will one day appear with Christ in glory. And that brings us to key point number four. Knowing that we are heirs. Okay, talking about our sonship again. We are his children. Knowing that we are heirs of God should inspire living with eternity in mind. I mean, how should a son live? If my son knows that I'm leaving him an inheritance, right? 
I mean, that should inform the way he thinks about money. Right? If my son knows that I'm leaving him something, that he gets something, that should change the way he lives. He functions. And I think it's true for us. If we know that Jesus Christ has something greater for us in heavenly places, then it makes everything here seem much more temporal. And it gives us the ability to fear nothing. I don't need anything here. I don't need money. I don't need fame. My dad's got an inheritance for me. And I can trust in that. And I don't have to fix my attention on the material. I can fix my attention on the fact that my God has something laid up for me. And then he's promised me more than this. And then I can just just live as a pilgrim, as a stranger, just, just, just passing through. And guess what? I can live and abide in my vocation in a way unrestrained by this world. That's pretty freeing. The fact that I'm an heir of God should inspire in me living with eternity in mind. And some of us, we struggle to think that way. Do you think about your inheritance every day? No, that would be selfish to think that way. I mean, Paul makes it pretty clear that he's running a race for a prize. And I don't think we need to be ashamed of the fact that the greatest prize is hearing God's voice. You know, Alex mentioned this. You know? Hearing well done. I think that's prize enough. But then beyond that, he says he's got a mansion for us. I mean, okay, think of it this way. You know, God spent six days building all of this. And I think it's pretty awesome. Now I look at a tree, and I think, I don't know anything about that tree. It's got bark and leaves. That's all I know. And I know it's incredibly complex, so complex that no one can make, no, no biologist can generate a tree from nothing. Do biologists do that? I don't even know. I just made that. I just said that term. It sounds science What Who? A botanist. What, what is a person that would work at creating? Oh, okay, so I was right. Okay. <laughs> but you can't you can't make a tree. God made trees. He did it in six days. He made trees in those six days. You know what? God's been working on heaven like two thousand years. I think it's gonna be pretty grand. I think it's gonna be pretty amazing. And I get a part in that. And it should that knowledge alone should preoccupy my thoughts. So that I have a right perspective on this life. I'm his son. I'm his son. He leads me. He guides me. He lifts me up. When we ask ourselves, how do we overcome sin? How is it that we yield to the Holy Spirit? What about mortifying my flesh? Ah. Don't you want to be led? Don't you want to be set free to follow? He says, I have given you my spirit that you might mortify your fleshly desire. That's what he says in this chapter. Yeah? That's what he says. I have given you my spirit that you might mortify your fleshly desires. And then he says, he says, I have given you my spirit that you might be my children. And then he says, as children, I will guide you 
But you must listen and obey. So not to fall prey to sin. I mean, children listen and obey. That's what they do. You want to be a good child? You want to be a good son? You want to be a good daughter? Listen and obey. And as children, I will love you with the love of a father so you can come to me with any burden. I love you. You're not just my children. I'm not just saying listen and obey. I'm saying come to me in affection. Cry out to me. I'm here for you. And then lastly, as children, I will give you part in my eternal kingdom so you know how fleeting this temporal world is. See, all these things that he's done for us in giving us his spirit, in giving us his word, in giving us his love, in making us adopted, in giving us, uh, 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 making us co-heirs with him. He doesn't do these in vain. He does these with intention. We might follow him and listen to him and obey him and perform something that he has for us. He wants us to be led by him. Now, if, if, if you're struggling with any of these things, you're struggling with listening and obeying or any part of that. If you're struggling with coming to God with your burdens, if you're, if you're struggling with an eternal perspective, then today you need to take some time to pray. And so in conclusion, we need to ask the Lord, where is it that I'm not seeing my sonship right now? And what area do I lack? Am I not? You know, I'd be great if one day Shepherd would come to me and say, Dad, where is it that I'm struggling? If he could be that honest with me, so that I could help him, you know? That'd be great. That'd be great. And God wants that from you. So it's your job. You know, we always talk about concluding a message. And, and really, you draw the conclusion on these messages. When we talk about an invitation, you make an invitation what it is. And if God is, is pricking your heart, then we need to deal with it now. And so what we're going to do is pray. And I think the worship team usually does a little ditty right here. Okay? Um, but I'm going to pray, and I'm going to close this. And if you've got something you need to deal with in terms of how you're not perceiving your father rightly and you're not living up to the sonship uh, or living in the fact that you're a child of God, then we need to address that today. Can we do that? All right. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, I'm grateful for the fact that you call me your son and that I belong to you and that I'm your beloved. 